Hey, did any of you guys see the fireside chat Friday night? We had a guy take over our show. His name's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. And and he's here from North Carolina. Steve, come up and join us. Come Come hang out here here for a second. Yeah. All right, I'm going to talk it up. I I wanted him to come up because um, the the critical component, I had the privilege to meet uh, Steve Noble on a trip to uh, Israel with uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. And he, Steve's a radio personality in North Carolina out of Raleigh, a Christian radio personality. And he's got a, a, just a really cool format on his show. Well, he's been instrumental, and you need to know this. I, I, I wanted he and his wife to come out, and I had a chance, Michelle and I had a chance to have dinner with them last night along with their son, Hayden. I wanted to let you know how the Lord used this man in my life. Um, he was instrumental in letting every pastor in North Carolina and the congregations there know what we were facing here in California. Every single one of those churches prayed for us, sent us letters of support, and a number of folks sent us support. And it was because of this man. So I wanted to say thank you. You got anything you want to share? Yeah, well, it's easy to raise support when you get 25% cut for sending it out to California. So His show is comedic, if you were wondering. I just wanted you guys to know uh, from people, and I go to a church, we go to a church now that uh, dared to open. And it was an amazing thing. My wife, Gina's sitting right back. Where are you, Gina? Raise your Come hand. Come on, Gina. Stand up. Stand you're, up. You're so beautiful. Stand up. There she is. Woo! And you need to encourage one another to know that you're not alone. And there's a lot of churches that are fearful. There's a lot of pastors that are fearful. There's too many pastors that fear you. More than God. And no pastor should fear his congregation. So as we saw what was happening out here, and when Gene and I first went to this church, and we switched our own church home recently, we were shocked and amazed by how impactful it was to worship together in person. Where you could see if I was smiling or not. And it was an amazing experience because we had, after all these years, we were married in 92, saved in 94. We were equally unequally yoked when we got married. Think about, you'll figure it out in about 10 minutes. (laughs) We had taken for granted all these years the power of the intimate environment of worship. And online is something that, okay, fine, for a couple of days, for a couple of weeks, maybe even for a month. But after that... You short-circuit the power of what God has designed. And whereas we are called, of course, to submit to the governing authorities, we do all that stuff. Rob talks about it all the time. the people. Thank you. (laughs) Now, that was a shtick. That was rehearsed, by the way. Uh, There's no authority other than the king in heaven, who, by the way, doesn't need your vote because he's already the king, okay? So... And remember, one more thing, you don't give a Southern Baptist radio show guy a microphone. That's just unwise. We actually talked about that. We were very concerned. Repent. (laughs) God, (laughs) that doesn't even faze me. Uh, God still rules the universe with his feet up. Okay? Now, don't buy into the thing. People say, hey, God is in control. God is sovereign and God is providential, but saying God is in control gets you off the hot seat. There's no room for apathy in the life of a Christian. Good word. One last thing, and then I wait, will wait, sit no, down. Wait, wait, no, you said the last was, okay, I do that too. Go ahead. Where were we? I'll repent for my lying later. Thank you. While politics is important. Careful. The gospel is preeminent. And I'm here to tell you, if you care more about saving Americans than seeing Americans saved, you're out of whack. And everything that happens politically in this country matters because there's 340 million people here, all made in the image of God who Jesus died for and loves. That's why I engage. But if I care more about the nation than I do my neighbor, my neighbor's soul will last forever. My nation will not. So make sure as people of the book that you're people of the gospel, not just political involvement, which I've been doing for 16 years, and I have the scars and the T-shirts for it, and the lack of a big net worth. 
I still got a sermon to do, so we got to kind of wrap this up. Don't and forget the gospel. Everything. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Rob, or whatever <laughs> your name is. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we need to keep uh, Pastor Sean Thornton in prayer. I got word, and I can't confirm. I heard it from one congregant, uh, but that he has pneumonia. So we'll keep Pastor Sean, uh, Calvary Community Church, in prayer. Um, I heard they're open. Did anyone else hear that? Outside? Open for Christmas Eve. That we're getting there. Let's keep it going. Amen. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift him up in prayer if you join with me. And Lord, I, I thank you for Pastor Sean. I remember, Lord, asking you to bring a man who would fill that pulpit that would love your word. And you were faithful to answer our prayer and to bless this community with that precious man. And Lord, I, I know he loves you and he's trying to navigate these waters just like everybody else. And I do ask that you would heal him, strengthen him, comfort his family, comfort the congregation at Calvary Community. And Lord, I ask that you would be glorified and that uh, the sheep would have a place to go in fellowship. And I thank you that that's Sean's heart. I pray that that would all come together in accordance with your riches in Christ. So please heal, heal my brother and bless him, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, <clears throat> let's get into the study. So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, relieve these poor people of this burden as they're carrying these stacks of heavy books. Just raise your hand, they'll give you a Bible. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible and you get one from them, you're welcome to keep it. We just ask that you read it, not smoke it. It's a joke. So, um, Genesis 1 ministered to my heart this week. Um, I, I've been sick the last couple days. Um, I think everybody's kind of gotten something. Got a bad cold. Some of you go, I think it's COVID. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Everything nowadays is COVID. Yeah. Oh, you have the flu, COVID. You have a cold, COVID. By the way, um, I don't make light of, I think at last count, we almost have reached 200 deaths attributed to COVID in our county of 850,000 people. Um, we don't know the breakdown between with and from. Uh, we've had, I think, two deaths in the last 14 days. And, and they're all tragic, please understand that. But I, I've noticed that our hospitals are not overrun contrary to what people are saying. Uh, we've spoken to emergency room physicians. We've spoken to nurses. They're not overrun. This is what they call flu season. And we've had positive tests, but not positive cases. Those are two different things. And as a result, we are in these draconian, tyrannical lockdowns that have adversely affected our community. And that's why we're celebrating brave business owners, men and women who defy tyranny and open their business at great cost and we need to support them and I'd encourage you all to do that and come out tonight five o'clock we're going to sing Christmas carols and stand in opposition to tyranny and we're going to try to push our elected representatives who govern by our consent to quit to stop destroying our county and open up our businesses so come out tonight to do that you can clap louder than that that is really pathetic yeah, there it is. That's what I'm looking for right there. Yeah. <laughs> now that is good stuff. I, I moved because as I was contemplating um, this season, I, my heart was heavy. It's been a rough week. And it almost seems like every, you know, I call it hopium. But it, it almost seems like everything that you're looking forward to or a possibility of the scenario changing, it's just gets shut down and gets shut down. And, and you kind of, you just, you just say to the Lord, I'm, I'm not quite understanding you. And I was comforted by this passage of scripture and it blessed me. And I pray it does the same for you. 
10 verses out of the very first book of the Bible. Genesis means beginning. And so uh, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, please. Thanks. We stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. I'm going to read out loud if you'll follow along silently. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, pausing for emphasis, then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. In the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. I want to read one more thing to you. Actually, two things. You don't have to know where they are. I'll just read them to you. This is out of Romans chapter 1. Because what may be known of God is manifest in mankind, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And then Psalm 19, the psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then finally, In the beginning was the Word. This is John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. All that in your mind, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your Word. Your Word that you spoke at the beginning. And as that Word went forward, in the expanse of nothing, you created the heavens and the earth. And Lord, our lives are a void of misery. We're hurting. There seems to be chaos and confusion. And you but speak the word and you bring life and hope. And God, as we examine Genesis 1, would you please minister to all who hear my voice? I pray that you'd bring comfort by your spoken word. Bless us, Lord. Minister to us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Relax. Take a load off. In this um, passage of Scripture, I was moved by it. I was thinking, it's an odd Christmas text. But then as I continued to examine it, being drawn to it, I thought, What an amazing Christmas text. I want 2020 to go away. This has been, without exception, the worst year of my life. It's also been the most fruitful and exciting year of my life. Try to put that together, yeah, amen. Some of you understand that. Others are like, what? (laughs) This has been trying, to say the least. It's been disappointing. But it's also been eye-opening. 
It's also caused us to reevaluate so many things in our life. At least it's done that in regards to my own. And as I re-examined Genesis, I was moved by this passage. I love that the word God, when it says, in the beginning God, the word is Elohim. It's, it's an interesting way to describe the Lord. It's where you find later in Genesis where the scripture says, let us make man in our image. And, and us is the Godhead. Elohim is singular plurality or unified diversity. It's, it's, uh, it's a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, although there would be biblical scholars who would contend with that. But you say, well, where's the Godhead in this? Well, you see God the Father creating the heavens and the earth, and then you see here where it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But then you say, okay, where's the Son? It's real simple. Then God said, that's the Son, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. You see, describing Jesus, he's the Alpha and the Omega as it's described in Revelation. He's the A and the Z. That's the Greek alphabet, the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z. He is, he is the embodiment of everything the Father has ever wanted to say. Spoken through his son. He's spoken to us through creation and through the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us in son and uio. Which means that Christ left heaven and he became Emmanuel. He tabernacled with us. He was tempted in all ways yet was without sin. He became the sinless lamb of God that he would die in our place. Fully man, fully God. And was without sin. So that when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty, which the penalty for sin is death. And he paid that penalty. We're all on death row. I can't die for you. I have my own penalty. You can't die for me. You have your own penalty. But Christ died for all of us because he's without sin. You receive his propitiation. You receive his forgiveness you receive that gift that he gave of a sacrifice of his own life on behalf of your violation and my violation by faith. And he said, to die." It's one word in, in the Greek, but three in English. It means it is finished. In English, it goes on further. It's described as paid in full. That was the last word on the cross, tetelestai. He even asked them to moisten his lips because he had been beaten so badly and his tongue was swollen from thirst and his blood was pouring out from every gash and wound that had been thrust upon him by the Romans and others. And as he was bleeding out and his tongue was swollen and they moistened his mouth with the sponge and the sop, just long enough to loosen his tongue, he said, to Tetelestai. He said, it's paid in full. And he breathed his last. He said it. He's the word of God. He's the son. So we have the Godhead in, in the Genesis story. All together in creation. All things were created through him and by him and for him. He was there in the beginning. The Bible says that all creation speaks of God's invisible attributes. They can be clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. His eternal power and the Godhead, so that we're all without excuse. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The psalmist goes on to declare that the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. These are all creation pictures showing us the magnificence of this God that we come to worship. Now, 
I think part of the joy in the tragedy of 2020 is that I've had the privilege to meet folks who I would have never have had the chance to meet. These are people that probably never would have stepped foot in a church. They're brave. They would label themselves as they sit here and out there and in the overflow. They would label themselves courageously but honestly as agnostic. Two words that mean agnosis, without knowledge. They, they recognize a creator. They're drawn here, but they don't know who this God is. But they have been drawn to this place because they, they've watched their lives being brought into turmoil and the things that they once took for granted have now been taken. And they're confused, a little bit scared. And they come here. They hear a man speaking of God. And they see people worshiping with their hands raised as they look around the building seeing walls like any other place. But their hearts moved, so much so that they come back week in and week out. And they hear us speak of liberty, not being man's idea, but God's idea. And they, they see a state they love and a nation they love. And they're watching things drastically change before their very eyes. And yet they see a hope. And they come to realize as they re-examine the old books and they dust them off that our founders recognized a creator. And they start to realize that liberty is not man's idea, but God's idea. And then you see the passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I like this because it's a Christmas story to me. Christmas comes during the winter solstice. It's, it's the longest night of the year. The least amount of light and the greatest amount of darkness. Fascinating in that depth of darkness, we celebrate the light of the world, Jesus Christ. This winter solstice this year, I think, is the 21st of December. Darkness hovers. The days are short and the nights are long. And everything associated with Christmas tends to revolve around the heavens. You talk about visibility in, in daylight, and, and if there's no fires, you can see for miles. Sometimes you can see the Channel Islands. You say the visibility is so amazing, and then other times the fires rage and the visibility is poor. But you want to talk about visibility. You, you, you have the greatest visibility, not during the day, but at night. At night, you can see for billions and billions of miles. And you would, you would realize this the most during the times where it's always the darkest. Winter. So Christmas is always associated with the heavens, the night sky. I don't know if you saw this, but there's, there's been this statement as of late that planets appear to nearly align creating a Christmas star last widely visible almost 800 years ago. I don't know if you've read this, but it's an aligning of, of two planets. It looks like this. Jupiter and Saturn on the horizon have come together. And, and this is going to be on December 21st, which is going to be the winter solstice, the, the longest night of the year. And it's going to be one hour after sunset looking southwest. You'll see these two planets align and they'll create this star. The article said, when something inordinately rare or unexpected happens, it is said, the planets aligned. On December 21st, the winter solstice, two planets will appear nearly aligned, resulting in an event so uncommon, it's befitting of the saying. At one time, astronomers may have felt it so closely resembled a Christmas miracle or perhaps the star of Bethlehem that they named the spectacle the Christmas star. I don't know if you've read the Christmas story. We'll do that on Christmas Eve but it's this star that caused the shepherds to find the Christ child. 
I love the picture of the shepherds. These are men of nobility that have traveled great distances, Zoroasterism, and they study astronomy, they study all kinds of things, and they're not ignorant. And they see in the ancient writings, and they're drawn, and they look at the night sky, and it used to be that we as human beings would look up to find our direction. In scouting, I, I learned how to find the North Star at night is you follow the Big Dipper, the handle, and then you go to the ladle, the cup part, and the last two stars point straight to the direction of the North Star, and you know where north is. We don't look up anymore for direction. We look down to a man-made device, and you see the dot, and that's you moving Tells you how far to get to where it is you want to go. And you look down. You no longer look up. You, you wouldn't know what to do when you look up. But you look down to a man-made device. And that device directs you and guides you. And lies to you. <laughs> and censors you. And tracks you. And it's free. Whenever you get something for free, you have to realize you're the product. Your data. There's nothing free. You turn around one day and they, they take off something from the internet that you posted because they decided it's not true. When did this happen in America? And we look down. And they tell us where to go. We're grateful for technology. We don't avoid it. But we, we also realize that without morality, technology is only enslavement. When did we stop becoming wise? When did we become enslaved? We're ignorant. We're no longer educated. We're indoctrinated. We believe what we're told. We don't study to show ourselves approved. It's time we turn off the clanging cymbals and the sounding brass. We get back to the things that matter and we read. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. Spend time in his word. It's true. It's alive. It will transform you. The beauty of 2020 in the midst of the, the misery is that it's caused... Many to seek God who never have before. I'm blessed by that. One of my favorite Christmas cards I've ever received, and I see it every year and it moves me. And it was when I was a, a young Christian. I had just become a Christian and I'd received it from a friend and I was so touched by it. And it, it had this, this phrase, wise men still seek him. I thought about those wise men. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so we assumed that there were three of them. But there was far more than three. We just assumed that there was three because there was three gifts. They traveled with bodyguards. It was a contingency of many, probably hundreds. They were wealthy. They traveled at great expense to themselves to come and seek this Savior, and they sought the Lord through a celestial appearance, through the night sky, through the heavens. At Christmas time, the heavens become critical because it's the longest night of the year. The heavens matter. And we look up, and wise men still seek Him. There are many good and strong philosophical and logical reasons to believe in God, yet the Bible does not make elaborate arguments for the existence of God. However, it does tell us how we can know God exists. You see, this is a teleological argument. I read to you out of Genesis. I read to you out of Romans 1. I read to you out of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Wise men still seek Him. You can, you can find Him if you seek Him. The Bible tells us we can know God exists because of what we see in the created world. 
Psalm 19, as I read earlier, says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. Romans 1.20 also explains, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. As I said earlier, this is a teleological argument for the existence of God. It is the understanding that there must be a purposeful intelligence that created the world because the world shows both purpose and intelligence. And that's why I admire agnostics. They're honest and they're smart. I have very little patience with atheists. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. Atheists usually have a bone to pick. Why do you have to argue with people as to whether God exists or doesn't exist? Do you argue over whether or not the Easter Bunny exists? Do you argue over whether Santa Claus exists? Why are you so dead set on saying there's no God? And why would you say to those who would believe in a God that they're evil? Oh, time out, back up the bus. Don't steal my worldview to justify your own. You're an atheist. There is no creator. You live in America whose birth certificate declares there's a creator. You have the freedom to deny his existence, though the founders declared that your inalienable rights come from him. And you stand in opposition to those who would believe and you would, you would relegate them to being non-essential and you would silence them. And then you would call me evil. Sorry. That's a metaphysical argument. You can't steal my worldview and throw in a metaphysical term. There's no good or evil in your world. There's no right and wrong in your world. There's no absolute in your world. You're a cosmic accident. You were the result of some primordial soup that's gone bad. (laughs) There's no love. There's no hate. There's no right, there's no wrong. It's just matter. But God took care of that. He addressed you. He said, in the beginning God created. The word is very unique to the Jewish language. It's called barah. It means out of nothing. God created something. You're like, duh. No, no, duh. Think about it. If I were to ask you, please describe to me what is nothing. You would say, well, nothing is the absence of something. Nothing is darkness. Nothing is... Okay, you're using the verb to be. You have no concept of nothing. You can't, you can't even... Describe nothing without using something. You live in a world of matter. Scientists would say it's neither created nor destroyed. It was created. It says it right here. And you may be brilliant far more than me, and I don't argue. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You may have knowledge, but you don't possess wisdom. You don't create anything. You fashion, mold, and shape. But you don't create anything. Creating means out of nothing. You live in a world of matter. I've told this thousands of times, and I'll tell thousands of more times. Three scientists 
They've declared they no longer need God. They've figured out how to make God out of, excuse me, they figured out how to make man out of dirt. They know, they know the genome of man. They can do it old school. They take the youngest scientist. They go, look, it's your job. You're the rookie. You go tell God we don't need him. He goes and tells God, we don't need you anymore. We figured out the genome of man. We can make him out of the dust of the earth, just like you did old school. God says, really? He says, yeah. He says, we'll have a contest tomorrow. You'll make a man, I'll make a man. The scientist pridefully says, not a problem. He says, tomorrow we'll meet. He says, all right. And they gather. The three scientists get together, and God says, all right. You're going to go first. Make a man. They go, fine. And they go to get some dirt. And God goes, time out. Get your own dirt. <laughs> That's matter. Look, you're smart. I'm a self-made man. What part of yourself did you make? I know what you mean by that. You've worked hard. You've, you've built a business. But who kept your heart beating and your lungs moving? God. Who fashioned the cells so intricately connected and working in unison? God. Why would you deny his existence and create some sort of fanciful myth? Because you're angry. He didn't answer your prayer. Your loved one died. You were raised in a home of an abuser. Something went awry. And you're hurt. And instead of not understanding him and declaring yourself an agnostic without knowledge, you have come to the conclusion, I don't even want him a part of my universe. And you've lived your life to deny his existence. And that has put you in a predicament of anger. And we are ideologically opposed. Because when you take this position... The victim is now becoming the victimizer. You've created a whole absence. Theology means study of God. You've created the absence of God in your worldview. And you're contending to call me evil and silence my ability to worship. It's all political. Even the gospel. Politics is the highest form of community. It's morality and sociability. How do we get along? Do we get along because I'm in charge and I tell you what to do? Or do we get along because we're created in the image of God, we're accountable to him and accountable to each other in a world that has sin? That's political. And it's the gospel. And mankind will seek to enslave another. And in the darkest season and time of year, A light has appeared. It's Jesus. He's come to set the captives free. The government will be upon his shoulders. And Naphtali, in the darkest region of the world where sin abounds, the Lord appears. Zebulun and Naphtali. He is part of the Godhead. He's the word, the word that is spoken to set men free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The word is true. There is truth. There are those who would silence you, censor you. Timothy says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If everything around us, including ourselves, is a result of random, meaningless occurrence apart from the work of the creating God, then it says something about who I am and where I and the whole universe are going. If that is the case, then the only dignity or honor we bestow upon men is pure sentimentality because we don't have any more significance than an amoeba and there is no greater law in the universe than the survival of the fittest. And if you are an atheist, you cannot say... That rape is wrong. There is no right and wrong. If it's survival of the fittest, DNA is your hope of continuing. You can't say that the annihilation of six and a half million Jews was wrong. Because there is no metaphysical term to those who say God does not exist. Who says 
That's why in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's why this is of greatest importance. This is why Elohim and Barach are of critical importance. You see, if you believe Genesis 1-1, you really have no problem believing the rest of the Bible. The God big enough to have created the heavens and the earth is big enough to do all the rest the Bible says he did and does. It really boils down to the two great laws of the universe. There is a God, and you are not him. (laughs) Now, some of you struggle over me using the word him. You are going to shut me out and deny me to continue to speak into your life. But let's remember this. That's not an agnostic. That's someone who's intolerant. Study. Pursue this. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's what's fascinating. There you are. Do you see yourself? That's the Milky Way galaxy. I, I, I get stretch marks on my brain when I think about things like this. And I'm going to do the same for you. Our solar system is encapsulated in that Milky Way galaxy. In the summertime when I'm at my in-law's lake house and you look out in Grass Valley, Penn Valley, there's no light pollution. You can see a portion of the Milky Way galaxy as you look out. It's like a pinwheel. A typical galaxy contains billions of individual stars. Our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, contains 200 billion stars. A billion is a thousand million. That's a lot. Our galaxy is shaped like a giant spiral, pinwheel. It would take 250 million years for the pinwheel to make one full rotation. But this is only our galaxy. There are many other galaxies. The average distance between one galaxy and another is about 20 million trillion miles. Our closest galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy, about 12 million trillion miles away. You take a a patch in the night sky the size of the moon. For every patch of sky the size of the moon, if you could look very deep, you would see about a million galaxies just in that spot in the night sky. But God did all this himself. Indeed, he said in Isaiah 48, Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. You and I are a gnat on the butt of an elephant. <laughs> you are little tiny nothing. It's right there. Just nothing. That's in the Milky Way galaxy. 200 billion zillion gazillions. And the Bible says he holds those in the span of his hand. Middle finger to his thumb. And you're created in his image. Unlike all of creation, you're the only one given the ability to love. It's a choice. And in the midst of all of it, he created you. And in the midst of our sin and our rebellion, he still saw fit to leave the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross, to speak God's forgiveness to Telestai, to reconcile you and forgive you and to establish his law in your heart that you would live to serve people instead of abuse them. You would stop being the victimizer. You would forgive and be forgiven and you would be an instrument of life. You would contend knowing that the government is upon his shoulders. You will not seek to enslave other human beings. You will strive to set them free. You will be in the ecclesia, of the public square. You will contend for the hope of humanity. As Galatians 3 says, the law of God is, is a guardian to point you to Christ until faith comes. You'll contend for your neighbor. You'll love them as you love yourself. You will contend in the world of politics. Yes, because people will despise you and ridicule you. 
And you'll want to avoid the controversy and the conflict, but you'll still stand and you'll love the ones that hate you. I love this about Genesis 1, especially verse 10. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. God does not call the earth good until it can become habitable, a place where man can live. How now then shall we live? It is good because you can now habitate it. And you will dwell together in unity. You will have moral knowledge. A republic only exists with a moral people. You will be accountable to God and accountable to each other because you will recognize, as our founders did, that you hold this truth to be self-evident in Genesis, that we are created equal And we're endowed by this creator with these inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and virtue. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. You don't take my rights, God gave them to me. You protect them. We're accountable to him. In the beginning, he created it. It was good when it became habitable. That is the call for mankind. But whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it. It's important. You see, in this Declaration of Independence, just like in Genesis 1, just like in Romans 1, just like in Psalm 19, God is declared the creator. God is present four times in the Declaration of Independence. First and foremost as creator. Secondly, as legislator, one who would establish laws that we would dwell together in unity. Three, providence, meaning executor. And then third, he is the judge. And we will all stand before him and give an accounting of our life. And those who sit in seats of authority must recognize that they're accountable to God. And you don't mess with people because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's his dirt, it's his air, it's his water, it's his food. And we live by his rules. And his rules, if we've been created in the image of God and we establish these laws, wise restraints that make men free. And they go out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And only when the earth becomes habitable does God call it good. He created it for you. That we would honor him and one another, not enslave, not abuse, and not deny his existence, but embrace him and strive for these things. But we become selfish. We create the gospel to be myopic and truncated. We make it convenient and easy. We don't think it requires us to endeavor in the public square for the sake of mankind to be set free. And then... As we abandon that, we find ourselves in the worst year of my life, 2020. I think 1968 would have been worse, but I was too young to remember it. I was only four. 68 was, I believe, worse than 2020. The Kent State shooting would be in 69. The Tet Offensive, I talked to a man last week who said, or yesterday, excuse me, last service, who survived the Tet Offensive. His fellow soldiers didn't. He was choked up recounting it in just the moment I had to speak with him. He saw the horror of the war in Vietnam. He came back to a nation that spit on him, ridiculed him. The the nation was torn asunder between socialism and Marxism, and and the students were rioting, and and the nation was falling apart. Church attendance was dropping. They, they, They weren't essential. And in the midst of it, as China's rising in 2020, the Soviet Union dominated the heavens. It was Kennedy who said, we need to get somebody in the heavens. And he got shot in 63. His brother would be dead in 68. Reverend King would be dead in 68. And to make matters worse, Nikita Khrushchev would pound his boot as the premier, as as the head, as, as, as... 
the sovereign of the Soviet Union declaring the absence of God. There is no God. He would say, why didn't you step on the brakes in front of God? Here is Gagarin who flew up to space and yet even he didn't see God anywhere. Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, America was stunned to see as this ideology contending in the heavens to say God's not there. Americans were grieved. The churches were silent. Prayer was removed. Every social barometer that should be going up went down, and every one that went down that should have gone up didn't. It was the reverse. We're watching teen pregnancies rise, drug addiction. We've removed prayer and God. And Nikita Khrushchev would state in 68, your children, excuse me, in 59, your children's children will live under communism. You Americans are so gullible. No, you won't accept communism outright, but we'll keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you will finally wake up and find that you already have communism. We won't have to fight you. We'll so weaken your economy until you fall like overripe fruit into our hands. We disillusioned our young people. We shot our leader, assassinated him. Those who would stand for justice, those who would stand in contention with mankind abusing other men, seeking to enslave them by tyranny, they would stand in defiance. And what would we do in 1968? We shot them. We burned cities. We shot his brother. What an awful year 68 was. And the church had nothing to say of it. Reverend King stood in jail alone while the pastors went about their daily activities. And that awful year culminated in Christmas as every year does. The Soviets on the rise, evil rising, America burning, hopelessness mounting. What do you do? What do you do in such depression when the nation you love, and I remember my father, he had fought for the nation. He came back to see it divided. His heart was broken. I remember his depression in the 70s. Vietnam fell in 75, and I shared with you the story of our Vietnamese family we adopted. And, and then I watched their resilience. And the beauty of 1968 and the misery of 1968 was Christmas of 1968. Three men, Borman, Lovell, and Anders, finally just rolled up their sleeves, and America said, Look, we got beat but we're not quitting. They put together the Apollo program. Apollo 8 was the first capsule to orbit the moon. What did they do in 1968 in the Depression? America looked up to the night sky and to the heavens. And when they got there, what did they do? Listen. We're now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth, and the Earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. That it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament 
the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered in together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas. God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. In the most depressing year, it was the most watched broadcast in the history of the world. And the entire world looked up. And those three astronauts gave a great Christmas message on December 24th, 1968. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've had a hard year. It's real simple. It's time to look up. And when you look up, you will realize the two great truths that there is a God and you are not Him. But this is the greatest truth of all. That the God who created the heavens you observe is the one who in the expanse of that universe that took me great difficulty to describe and in the expanse of that universe down to this earth, this good earth that was good because when God created it, it was habitable and he put you here and he put me here and this world is, yes, true, it is inundated with sin. We lie to one another. We steal from one another. We abuse one another. It is a world of pain. It is a world of hurt. I don't question that. And that is a result of sin. It is systemic. This is true. It is systemic in mankind. It is true. But to remove that disease of sin, we must go to its source. And the source is all of us. And God allows us to remain that we would repent, that we would awaken to realize we're accountable to Him and to each other. And we don't abuse each other. We become the solution, not the problem. And we establish Galatians 3, laws that would point people to Christ, that we would not allow children to be eviscerated in their mother's womb. We will protect those who are being trafficked. We will stand on behalf of righteousness. We will love mankind even when they despise us and they ridicule us and they mock us. And even as they did in 68 to Reverend King, they may shoot you. But 68 resulted in a seed change in America. And 2020 is an awakening and a revival. And you're struggling. And God has used this challenge to awaken you to the truth, that the truth would set you free, that you are a new creature in Christ. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Jesus' death on that cross, Emmanuel, God with us, he took the penalty of your sin and my sin to give us the ability to live for him and to make a difference on this earth, this good earth. And we will be those instruments for his glory. And we will rededicate our lives to that, that we will not find ourselves in a place where we are now because of our apathy and inactivity that we have allowed mankind to be enslaved on our watch. It's not going to happen anymore. We are now citizens of heaven, empowered by the Spirit of God and awakened by the Word of God and empowered 
by the God of all creation. And he has spoken his word into your life. And you have become alive in Christ. And it's time to live, to honor him in the moments we have left on this earth. That this will not be the destruction of mankind, nor the extinguishing of liberty. But 2020, we will look up. And this Christmas will be unlike any we've ever known. And God will bless you. Amen. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. And let's welcome back Terry and Nancy Clark, my favorite. I remember his voice as a brand new believer. His voice and and Nancy's have always comforted me in the greatest of trials. That's why I've always wanted them at Christmas and Easter. And if you don't like what I like in music, find another church. God bless you. After after the Lord has really rained on us, um, his majesty and his beauty and his purpose and his love. Then we stand in his presence this morning as his children, his prized creation. We look up and we say, Oh Lord my God, when I lost Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I
and the overshadowing of his majesty walk with you throughout this day. Celebrate the life that he's, he's come and given to us as the word made flesh. Celebrate him today with all of your might. Bless you and happy Merry Christmas.